when you lie and you mislead people, you get people on board who you are assigning risk to without them agreeing to that risk. You know, what would be a good life for you? What kind of a person do you want to be? And how do these decisions relate to those very fundamental questions? Now, entrepreneurship should be a journey of self-discovery. Welcome to Entrepreneurship and Ethics, a special mini-series we're presenting on the Stanford Innovation Lab podcast. I'm Professor Tom Byers, and I teach entrepreneurship in Stanford School of Engineering. Today, on the fourth episode of this mini-series, I'm speaking with Laura Dunham and John Feld. Laura is the Best Buy Chair of Entrepreneurship at the University of St. Thomas in the Twin Cities, and the Associate Dean of the University's Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. John is a professor of strategy and professor of philosophy at Duke University, where he is the leader of Duke's Innovation and Entrepreneurship Initiative. For the past few years, we've been close collaborators, working together to elevate the role of applied ethics in entrepreneurship education. In this conversation, Laura, John, and I discuss some of the most significant ethical issues that entrepreneurs face and explore how we can scale conversations about ethics throughout all entrepreneurship-related disciplines. When it comes to ethics and entrepreneurship, some of the most significant debates revolve around the idea of disruptive innovation. Entrepreneurs are often pushing the envelope to reshape markets and social patterns. So I asked John and Laura, is there such a thing as ethical or responsible disruption? I think that's an extremely important question. And it's interesting that you're using the term disruption, which of course comes from the notion of disruptive innovation where the point was a new technology replacing an old technology. It's not just one technology replacing another, it's potentially one form of work replacing another and therefore having uh, a set of negative consequences for the people who used to be engaged in that. You know, the obvious example is Uber putting taxi drivers out of business. But many examples as work evolves, how should entrepreneurs think about this question? Well. It really comes down to the core question of understanding consequences and then taking responsibility for the consequences of your actions. I think that if you are motivated to try to accomplish a greater good and you are sincerely trying to improve the lives of others and you're dealing with trade-offs from the perspective of taking responsibility, that's the best guide. Laura? When we think about innovation, we, without a doubt, think about disruption. We think about defying conventional wisdoms. And in fact, we don't make progress um, as a society or economically without ongoing innovation and therefore without a certain degree of rule breaking, right? Doing things differently, bringing in a new lens um, to how we do things. Um, Uber, as John mentioned, being a great example of a completely different business model that created all kinds of new uh, value for consumers and, and, and new opportunities for people to earn money on the side. Um, however, um, disruption for the sake of disruption is, is, you know, is not okay. I think sometimes we tend to think if it's innovative, if it's disruptive, it's great. And, you know, the, the consequences be damned kind of thing. And, and so, and I just think that's uh, wrong. I think as John points out, we have to be willing to look at the disruption 
through the same kind of ethical lens that we look at any other ethical um, problem. You know, so not just consequences, but what are the principles at stake here? Who, you know, who are the stakeholders? What are the consequences to them? You know, what kind of principle am I establishing? Um, these are really important uh, important things to be bringing to this notion of disruption. You know, with going back to the example of Uber, um, Uber's sort of creating an entirely new business model is was disruptive and created a lot of value. Uber's deployment of a software called Grayball in order to evade the regulatory um, uh, the regulatory authorities in various jurisdictions where they were not welcome um, was unethical, and not just because it was breaking the law, but because um, it, it, it was doing a lot of harm in an environment where the community wasn't ready to to address and to use that kind of business model. It's a non-starter to just say that entrepreneurs shouldn't break any rules at all. After all, there are good rules and bad rules, and even bad and unjust laws. So what framework should guide entrepreneurs as they consider the rule-breaking side of disruption? I think that's a very, very important question. I'm sitting here in North Carolina. I'm about 45 miles away from the Woolworths in Greensboro, where four black university students defied the laws of the time and sat at the lunch counter in the Woolworths and demanded service. They were breaking the law, but it was an unjust law. And the purpose was to try to get that law overturned and create a more just situation for all our citizens here. Um, moreover, they were willing to accept the consequences of their breaking that law. I'm actually reminded of structurally, this situation is the same as the situation Socrates found himself in, in ancient Athens, where he violated the laws of the land at the time, but then chose not to escape from prison, chose to accept the consequences, all with a view to making his society a better society. I think it boils down to just what, as Laura was saying, the analysis and the motivation behind the decision. There's no right answer about what rules can you break and what rules can't you break, but there is a frame of mind, there is a mindset and an approach that helps you answer that question critically, responsibly. And so that's what we're hoping that our young entrepreneurs are doing. That question that John has raised, does this make for a better society, is a question we don't typically ask entrepreneurs to think about, but they should be, right? And it can be almost as simple as that. Uh, we have a tendency to tell them to make their decisions based on, is this going to increase market share, um, you know, generate more profits, uh, you know, uh, get to market sooner. Uh, but in fact, especially as we think about entrepreneurs who are bringing really transformative technologies to market, um, that simple question should be one that they are pondering in depth. Is this going to make society better. Along with disruption, there are a lot of questions about honesty when it comes to ethics and entrepreneurship. We sometimes refer to entrepreneurship as a kind of reality distortion field, because to be successful, you need to believe that you have the power to change reality. My conversation with Theranos whistleblower Erica Chung in episode two was all about the limits of that reality distortion field. 
But are there other cases where it's okay to stretch the truth a bit to bring in investors and get a new idea off the ground? If you look at the trade press and you look at magazines targeted to entrepreneurs, there's a lot about when is it okay to lie? You know, we do hear these stories after the fact of somebody who is successful and then they, they admit that they fibbed. So we assume that in order to be successful, they have to fib. But what we don't hear about are all the many, many, many ventures that fall by the wayside that also fib. So it's not the fibbing that helps them be successful, right? It is the actual execution on, a, a, you know, an outstanding opportunity and, and business plan. Now, obviously, you know, we, entrepreneurs have to come up with financials, right? They have to say, here's what it's going to be worth in five, 10 years. And, uh, you know, venture capitalists will say, we know this is fiction because there's too much uncertainty. But what you can be really honest and clear about is your assumptions so that everybody can say, wow, this person is confident. This person has a plan. Here's the assumptions they're making um, that make it very transparent to us why they think they can grow to this size and generate this kind of a return. And we can evaluate those assumptions. When you bake in lies into your assumptions, that's where you run into problems. And when we think about entrepreneurship, we know how important storytelling is, creating a compelling vision of how the future might unfold. That's what it is to change the world, to create a better future. That's what we want entrepreneurs to do. On the other hand, lying about facts now, not being transparent about how you got there, as Laura said about the assumptions, with the intent of misleading, that is not good. But you have to understand when you when you lie and you mislead people, you get people on board who you are assigning risk to without them agreeing to that risk. It is manipulative and harms do accrue to people whose ventures fail. Um, because those stakeholders got on board, whether they're employees, whether they're investors, because they didn't have the full truth. Now, we all know we take on risk when we get involved in a venture, but the point is we all have a right to know what those risks are and make our own decisions. So it is really a, a, a deeper wrong than we sometimes will depict it when we actually manipulate people to take on risk because they don't really understand the risk they're taking. I think it's easy not to feel sympathetic for a VC who I have to fib to, who's got tons of money and lots of different ventures and a portfolio and is spreading the risk across that portfolio. But the fact of the matter is, um, whether they're a big venture capitalist or a small angel investor or a friend and a family member who gives you your money, um, these people are all agreeing to do it because they believe you've told them the truth and that they are having the opportunity to assess the risk reward themselves. When I talk to young entrepreneurs uh, about raising money from investors, they often ask, who's the best investor to get money from? And I say, the best situation is when you're trying to raise money from investors who are best qualified to evaluate the opportunity that you're going after who can help you critically evaluate and possibly shape the opportunity. Um, I tell them that really in the final analysis, the biggest investment that's being made here is your own time and energy for a period of years. A VC has a portfolio of possibly tens of investments. You have a portfolio of one and you should make it count. So you should try to get investors on board who can be partners with you in evaluating the opportunity, making sure you have it right, 
And the only way for that to happen is for you to give them all the facts and share with them all the information and make them partners in the process, both of evaluating the investment worthiness of the idea and in helping shape strategy. At Stanford, we've noticed that much of the energy around entrepreneurial ethics and responsible technology is actually being driven by the students themselves. I was curious to hear if Laura and John had experienced a similar dynamic at their own colleges. So I asked them to spend some time talking about what is motivating their own students to focus on ethics and how those motivations might impact how we teach ethics in the context of entrepreneurship. Uh, I think there's a lot of reason to feel really hopeful about our future because I feel like students today, when we're talking about, for instance, undergraduates right now, but even some of our younger uh, graduate students as well, millennials, Gen Z, they are very motivated um, to, to, to make the world a better place. You know, they are people who care about social justice, who care about the environment, who want to work for organizations whose purpose they believe in. And, and for many of my students who are entrepreneurs, uh, many of them come because they see entrepreneurship as sort of a platform uh, for being able to enact change, to be able to create better companies, to be able to deliver um, products and services to consumers in, in what they feel is a more meaningful or ethical or certainly economically sustainable way. So uh, I, I think uh, it's an exciting time to teach entrepreneurship because I think we're teaching it to people who are already hungry to understand how they can live a life that they feel good about um, and as entrepreneurs create positive impact. I um, not too long ago had a conversation with a young man who was in our, we have a Melissa and Doug uh, founders, student founders program. And he had a, uh, an interesting startup. He had gotten some traction and, and it was pretty good, but he was deeply troubled about what he was going to do. Was he going to stay with the startup? Was he going to find a different job? And, and he was really struggling with his future. And we had a very, very good conversation where we just talked about, well, what is it that you want to accomplish in the long term? You know, what would be a good life for you? What kind of a person do you want to be? And how do these decisions relate to those very fundamental questions? And I think it was calming for him to think about his immediate choice about entrepreneurship and the direction of his startup in the context of these bigger questions about the arc of his life and his career. And I think part of what we're doing when we're bringing the ethical lens to entrepreneurial education is helping students think about issues like entrepreneurial strategy, speed of scaling, uh, funding, and all those things in a context that is truly meaningful to them. One of the things we also feel really strongly about at St. Thomas um, is making sure that it sort of is all rooted and it starts with who you are and who you want to be. I think John definitely addressed that. But we always say, you know, entrepreneurship is about solving problems that matter to you and creating value for others. So the first part of that that equation, solving problems that matter to you, now, entrepreneurship should be a journey of self-discovery. Who am I? What do I care about? Where do I want to have impact? What principles and values are really critical to me that I want to make sure that I adhere to as I navigate the complexities and the pressures of entrepreneurship? And then, of course, the second part of that 
uh, equation is creating value for others. So how do I do that in a way that's meaningful to other people? That's being mindful, not only the economic value, but the social value, um, you know, the environmental impact, et cetera, around the decisions that I'm making. Um, we have a course, actually, that's called um, The Vocation of the Entrepreneur or Catholic Institution. It's co-taught by a Catholic studies professor and a, uh, an entrepreneurship professor. But it's a model that could be, you know, secularized, if I uh, put it that way. Um, students are in a class with uh, theology, half theology, half entrepreneurship students. They're reading a lot of philosophical tracts about the purpose of life, you know, how we should live together, the dignity of the human person. These are rooted in Catholic philosophers and teachings, but, you know, you could put in Aristotle there, you could put in John Locke or, you know, Kant or, you know, really interesting philosophers, you know, modern philosophers who challenge us to think about the deep questions. And then students apply that to case studies. Um, that are around entrepreneurial startups. And, and that's really powerful for the students. One of the things we have them do is they have to write an essay and they have to share it with the class. And so students have to be able to stand up and say, here's something that's really important to me. And here's a story about why it became important. And here's how I want to live my life. And they have to share it. And it's really a quite a transformative class. And the other thing I'd say that makes this a particularly good time for this discussion is Possibly more than any generation we've seen, students now really want these issues front and center. They personally want to grapple with them, and they want them to be embedded and core in their education. And I think your example of the theology and entrepreneurship class is a good example of, of that. Once they really grapple with these issues, they realize that's where they want their hearts and their minds to be. Back in May 2020, Laura, John, and I hosted a virtual convening of educators and other thought leaders who want to make sure that entrepreneurs are equipped with solid ethical foundations. Because the event was supposed to be hosted at the University of St. Thomas before COVID-19 changed our plans, I asked Laura to talk about that event and the global movement that is starting to crystallize around the role of ethics and entrepreneurship. It was a gathering of not only entrepreneurship professors, but also ethics professors, as well as practitioners, entrepreneurs, uh, venture capitalists, with the, the idea of sort of hopefully kickstarting a movement so that we can better infuse entrepreneurial education um, with, with ethics. It's always been the time. Ethics has always been an important part of what we do as entrepreneurs. But, uh, you know, with all the, you know, we're sort of at this age of massive new technological breakthroughs in so many different areas um, that entrepreneurs are the ones that bring to us, right? And, and, you know, that, that bring to market. And we want them to be as, as thoughtful and responsible as possible um, as they make the decisions that they will be making. So uh, a lot of great conversation around what are the critical issues? What are some best practices happening now? Uh, what do we need to do better? How can we collaborate across the country and all these different institutions um, to, to build better uh, teaching practices, to advance research in this area? The level of enthusiasm, the excitement uh, across such a diverse set of people was, was uh, wonderful. And so, Laura, once again, thanks to you and your team for, for hosting us. Uh, we are very fortunate here at Duke in that we have a very well-established uh, sort of sister organization, the Keenan Institute for Ethics, that has been at this 
teaching ethics for a while. And we have found a very good marriage between people who have been trying to weave ethics into the undergraduate curriculum in general, as well as advanced research, and those of us working on the entrepreneurship curriculum. These seem to be dovetailing very nicely. And so we're very excited by that. And I think this St. Thomas convening represents how we might scale this approach through multiple institutions. But let me pick another um, part of this puzzle, which is very important. As I talk to my colleagues around Duke University who are involved in entrepreneurship, naturally I'm talking to people in the business school, the engineering school, some in arts and science. And the question is, how, how do we create a broader and diverse community within each of our institutions to weave this across the whole entrepreneurship curriculum? What I find, and I'm sure the same is true for you, Laura, and you, Tom, is everybody is interested and thinks it's important, but not everybody knows what to do. And I think a big part of what we can bring to the table is some very simple frameworks and tools that help someone who might be a specialist in biomedical engineering or in algorithm development in computer science or some other field to think comfortably, naturally about the kind of issues we're talking about. And of course, we all care, but some people, especially in academia, are a little afraid to raise the issues because they're they don't have, you know, quote unquote, technical expertise, and they're a little afraid of stepping out of their comfort zone. A big part of what we're doing as we think about scaling this, the, and the us is all of us collectively, is creating tools, frameworks to enable a broad set of people across all of our institutions to engage in these issues with their students in many, many different contexts. And. If I might, I do think one of the things we have all learned doing this is that it is incredibly important that ethics not just be parked in one class, right? We all have our business ethics courses and they are very important, but it's really important for everybody else to take those tools, to take those learnings that our students are getting in those classes and apply them in the fields that they're going to be um, practicing. So having those ethics conversations across you know, the business school, across the university is what makes it really meaningful. There are a tremendous number of entrepreneurship and innovation courses at campuses all around the globe. And over the past few years, Laura, John, and I have observed a growing desire from both students and teachers to elevate questions of values and principles in those classes. Many entrepreneurship educators are coming around to the idea that teaching entrepreneurs to apply ethical frameworks is just as important as teaching them how to raise investor money or search for product market fit. To learn more about what John, Laura, and I are up to, I encourage you to check out our Principled Entrepreneurial Action and Knowledge Project. You'll find us on the web at peak.stanford.edu. We'll include that link as well as links to some other resources on teaching entrepreneurial ethics in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Stanford Innovation Lab podcast to stay in the loop on future episodes. The Stanford Innovation Lab podcast is a Stanford eCorner original series. The videos, podcasts, and articles on Stanford eCorner are designed to help innovators and educators cultivate entrepreneurial mindsets and make a positive, lasting impact. 
Stanford eCorner is led by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program and Stanford's Department of Management Science and Engineering. This episode was produced by Luke Sikora and Rachel Julkowski of Stanford eCorner and edited by Katie Fernelius. Daniel Stusi is our designer and digital products manager. Our growth marketing specialist is Nora Cotta, and I'm Tom Byers. Thanks for listening.